how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed everybody and welcome to Sober Sex. Today we could not be more excited to welcome to the show Larry T. Larry T is a sober DJ, designer for Juji, created the word Electroclash, wrote RuPaul's five million selling single supermodel you better work bitch and has a reality tv show in production called fashiontainment we are delighted to talk to him today thank you for being here oh i'm so happy to be here i love the idea of a whole podcast dedicated to sober sex right so important here for it (laughs) um before we begin what are your preferred pronouns oh um well you i mean you can call me uh, girl, you can call me. No, <laughs> he and him is uh, the uh, uh, makes sense uh, uh, for me. But but I I will pretty much answer to everything and have answered to everything over my years of uh, in show business. Beautiful. Fabulous, thank you. We are thank both you, thank you. She, her. Okay. And uh, how are you today? Yeah, I'm really good. I uh, you know I I am taking advantage of this extra time. During the uh, uh, quarantines and the shutdowns and the and the closing of capitalism as we know it, thrilling to, moments uh, to develop my other talents, and uh, and for me that's just that's what a luxury, right? In, wow. Indeed, and what a healthy way to look at it too, you know, because I think that so many of us, especially in the entertainment industry, are living in fear <laughs> with this uh, idea of, of like, no, we DJs. get to explore. <laughs> Yeah, especially DJs. I mean, you know, I, you know, I live right down the street from Honey Dijon, and uh, I'm sure, and since she's absolutely blazing right now, that the last thing she needs <laughs> when she's just hit the cover of the the DJ magazines is a year break. It's a high price to pay for a break, but at the same time, mm-hmm. like it can be a healthy. You you demonstrate a very healthy attitude with it, and you're in Berlin, yeah. I'm in Berlin. Yes, I've been here for Amazing. six years. Awesome. How do you like it? Oh, my God. It's such, you know, I love it so much. You know, I'd, I'd been living in New York for, you know, t- uh, 22 years and then London for six years. And uh, and uh, and then, you know, what I, 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 I when I was in London, I kept finding myself saying in my if in my dream life, I would live between Berlin and Los Angeles. And suddenly the universe said, okay, bitch, and just kicked me (laughs) the fuck right out of London and sent me to Berlin, which I'd been, you know, I'd been flirting with for, for a couple of years before. And I, I just liked the, the pace here and the, Mm. and the people, it reminds me a lot of when New York was the creative center of the world where people had time to create and time to listen to music and time to, to dance from now, uh, every now and then. And now you're in Berlin. Do you feel like there's a different like attitude or sexual energy in all of these places? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, every city has its own kind of vibe, you know, uh, you know, when I was in Atlanta, cause I haven't lived there for a long time. It was, you know, I, I came blazing out of the closet at, uh, uh, you know, right as AIDS dropped on culture at large. And so for me, uh, you know, just uh, I remember thinking sex clubs, that sounds horrible. And it, <laughs> it sounds dangerous. Just, yeah, it just sounded like, you know, just thought I just thought it was too dangerous uh, to be sexual in a lot of ways. I kind of hid uh, from doing it. Luckily, I, you know, I had a lovely boyfriend. And uh, so I uh, and he encouraged me not to be a total uh, uh, um, um, totally uh, sexually uh, adventurous, just because you know it was dangerous, and uh, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it really did feel like being a gay in in 1980 was like a death sentence in a weird way. It, well, it wasn't like a sexual awakening. I mean, before though, but before it was glorious. Before that started, I listen. I within like my first six months of being out, I caught every sexual transmitted <laughs> you, that they, they have on the list. The heyday. Oh my god, it was so much fun. You'd make friends at the the, the clinic. <laughs> the people oh, the uh, regulars like a bar hey change numbers <laughs> but i mean it was just a, a different it was like it was two extremes at the same time and being seeing the whole thing act out in slow motion slow deadly motion was was uh was scary for a, a young gay for sure yeah it mm. sounds super heartbreaking also just to kind of without you know government action happening in a like speedy and helpful way. I mean, it's interesting. I, I heard a, an interview with um, Fauci the, the other day, and he was talking about how in, during the AIDS crisis, people were demanding political action to seek scientific help. And now there's like scientific advice for how to avoid catching coronavirus. And people are like, fuck you. We're not going to take your advice and save our own lives. It's insane. It's ridiculous. You know, and put into context, you know, AIDS has killed 35 million people. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and it's funny how uh, there's some of the anger people saying, we need to close down gay chat sites because of this. <laughs> and I remember thinking, um, uh, the is, chat is, sites is, are, are totally being ironic? For real? But Jesus. but you know what I mean you know uh, anytime something like this happens uh, you know I've 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 been a little slow on some of the changes in the cultural thing I remember thinking gay marriage why on earth would we need that and you know <laughs> <laughs> and now I look back and think God uh, you know I mean it's just everybody's where they're at right or they don't right. you know I it, it, mine was a reflection of the AIDS crisis I was thinking we've got to get this under control we can't be moving on to that just yet. Take her slow. <laughs> Easy does it. Um, so, I mean, we've already kind of descended into the nitty gritty as we are wont to do here on Sober Sex, but we really like to explore the ideas that help us to formulate our sexual identities. And you've told us a little bit about coming out at the young age in Atlanta, but can you like reverse even further into what were some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality, like even before you came out, like when you were growing up? Oh, you know, I'm going to be a real disappointment. You know, I'm like the only gay that was never uh, shamed. And and when on the rare occasion that I was, because it was clear right from being a child that I was gay and they would, people would just shout out in uh, gay sex uh, when we were learning about uh, the, the facts of life in school, people would uh, yell out my name when they would talk about homosexuals. And, but that's amazing uh, and, that you even got that much sexual education at the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but you know, but it was funny. I, you know, I, I, I was also the teacher's pet, and uh, and uh, and I was very well socialized. So uh, you know, I never really suffered one bit about uh, growing up as being gay. And I and I, I I had a rapturous sex life all through my early development. It was like uh, down in Georgia. I mean. It, I, I'm actually sorry they came up with this gay term because before gay, it was it was much more fun because there wasn't anything to to really uh, nobody was fighting against it. It was just like you know it was it wasn't called gay. It was like boys will be boys, <laughs> and that was just a lot hotter than than uh, dude. That's gay. Which it sounds like way more fun now. and exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so I I actually feel like I came up at a, a really good time. I mean, Fantastic. and it sounds like you were very surrounded by people who kind of supported and like, you know, encouraged you to be who you are, which is beautiful. Yeah. Well, my, my parents, they, they really, you know, my mom, I told my mom I was gay at 18 because uh, she asked, I, I mean, hello, I was already going to, to gay clubs with my two girlfriends and, uh, and, uh, and just rhapsodizing about how great the music was and how great everything was. I'm, I'm sure it was pretty clear. But uh, and then and my dad, even though he's kind of, he was uh, one of the old school Republicans, not a, not necessarily a Trump kind of Republican, but an old school a fiscal Republican. And, uh, and, you know, he was like, well, you know, it makes business sense. Actually, a lot of business people do really well if they're gay. 
They don't have to worry about wife and kids. And I, and <laughs> which is horrible, right? That's amazing. Actually. Like dad sees it very clearly. Like, don't worry Just about it. A, it's going to be fun. From a business point, it, it made good business sense for my dad. It's a good, <laughs> good business angle to come from this son. Good choice. Whatever gets the support, right? <laughs> do you, do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have one, uh, 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 older brother. And he was, he was just as voraciously a cock gobbler as I was until, until he found God and pussy. And then it just, um, it just, it suddenly, it just, it all stopped. And, uh, recently, uh, his wife's brother came out as gay at the age of, in his fifties. And, uh, and, uh, my, so my, me and my brother were bonding out on his, he has a beautiful lake out in Trump country, uh, in North Atlanta. And, uh, and we were bonding and he, you know, he said, uh, uh, we were talking about his brother-in-law being gay now. And really uh, uh, the marriage there, uh, all the members are gay. It's, you know, all the boys are gay except for my brother. And, and he said, you know, <laughs> if it weren't for Vicky, meaning if it weren't for, for his wife, he might, he might still be sucking cock. Wow. Bless him. <laughs> So I'll just say he might, he might, he said, I might be a Democrat. <laughs> you know. Which he will never say. He would never say. Okay. Extraordinary. <laughs> so how did everything, how did everything kind of unfold from there? How did you get sober? Like, what was your entry into How did you buy them out, I guess? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that sober came Tell a little later. Uh, you know, I, you know, I ran clubs in, um, in Atlanta because the access to boys and drugs and alcohol was so good being in the entertainment business and being in the nightclub business. So, so I, I was naturally drawn to, uh, to making music. I had a band called the now explosion, which, uh, uh, it, you know, we used to bring RuPaul and lady bunny up to New York. They were as our, our extra dancers. And, uh, so we had a band Love and I made Lady Bunny and RuPaul were your extra dancers. This is just amazing. <laughs> well, no, I, we actually, I did, uh, his first records before there was one called Star Booty, which was like a theme to a, a, uh, a, um, sci-fi FBI undercover agent for the FBI, a black, tall, black transsexual name, you know, Star Booty. And, uh, <laughs> which is, it's surprisingly good. And a song called The Mac. A Mac is, is another name for a pimp. That was like a sort of a let the music play kind of smash. Nice. Kind and of had that the Now Explosion? Yeah, that was the Now Explosion when I did the Now Explosion. But then I did side projects with, with RuPaul. And I had a, another group called La Palace de Boutte that uh, RuPaul would often be the third member in. We just, whenever we needed another rotating dancer, you know, we'd all work together on a lot of different things. So, uh, so we all, at one point when we finished, uh, we'd done everything that was to do in Atlanta. We'd made every, we've remaked every black star diva movie uh, into our own version, homemade versions like Mahogany 2 and, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, American Porn Star. Then we loaded up all of our stuff in a van. We, we drove up to New York, flipping the van completely as we crossed the, uh, the uh, uh, Tennessee border. Uh, oh which is God. quite next to like we, physically flipping the van over, like we a car the van. We, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, this, the, um, we, it was overpacked. We had so much stuff. And, uh, uh. when we, uh, at some point we got going at a speed and I remember we had done just a little bit of Coke. I mean, uh, so little, it was a freckle. <laughs> and, uh, cause, uh, cause we, we, it was there, not were no drugs. there were no real drugs in, in Atlanta. And, uh, and then, you know, just as we had gotten, uh, 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 just a little celebratory little sniff. Then the then the tire blew out, and that Fuck. sent the the uh, the van f- uh, rolling. So it it like rolled completely over, and then rolled back up. And luckily, it was just on the side of the street, so and we wouldn't be crushed by an oncoming truck or something. But yeah. you know, we, then we had to get out and get up, grab all our stuff off the street, and then figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to get up to New York? We were oh just god. out of Georgia. So, oh my god! What did you do? Well, I remember at one point I was I was sitting kind of numb in shock at the wheel, and Rue nudged me and said, "Darling, I think we should get out." Because I was like <laughs> I was just sitting in the van that had just flipped, like. Uh, so so that's what 
you know, we got out, we got it up to, uh, we got it up to actually, you know, it's funny when once, you know, we were so tired and uh, from leaving and, and all that emotional thing. Uh, and we were where we wrecked, where we wrecked the van was right near Jim and Tammy Baker's praise the Lord, a Christian theme park was. So we, oh, once we got our tires put on, we went and got a hotel room at uh, uh, the, the, uh, what are they called? Uh, praise the Lord. No um, PTL club. But no, it was like that a uh, theme park. So we went to their theme park, and uh, <laughs> and then then waddled up to New York. That's and, incredible! Uh, I'm so glad you guys all survived. Yeah, I'm so glad too. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, yes, it, it, we're really lucky. But we so got up to New York, and <laughs> we were a little bit naive because you know we're, we were Georgia bumpkins. The drugs weren't that good in Georgia. And suddenly, because of when we arrived, you know, the AIDS crisis had wiped out a generation of DJs and talent performers. And here we show up. I mean, it literally everybody was dressed in black as though it was a, a funeral. And that's what was in Charavari black. You just wore black. Everybody, it was just like, that was what where New York was at at the time. It was, it's see, probably in mourning, even though it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's not why they thought they wore black, but yeah, it was the collective uh, trauma was up. dictating the fashion. Oh my God. And so we showed up and they immediately put us to work. But then within a year I was running all the cool parties and DJing all the coolest nights in town. And, uh, and, uh, the other girls have done, have done really well too. Clearly. Fantastic. And, and was this kind of like early nineties club kid era in New York? Like where, what time of, of New York did you land? Well, we landed at the uh, beginning of 89, end of 88, beginning of 89, uh, 89. And it was right before the Club Kids thing took off. House music was becoming, you know, it was pretty much the main floor sound at every club. And DJs like Johnny Dinell. And uh, the, I remember we got to judge a lot of voguing contests at first when we got there, and uh, which was super glamorous. And, uh, you know, we and, and we since we already knew a lot of the stars from having been sort of the house band at the pyramid club, you know, we, we immediately already had a community there of people we knew. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was really a nice, we, I remember my first international trip was to play a French kiss in Paris at Palace. La la. <laughs> uh, John Sex, who has also died along the way to, of AIDS. He, uh, he, he, uh, I, we, we were brand new. So he said, asked me if I wanted to DJ it for him at his, the party he was going to do at uh, French Kiss. And that was like the party for, for a long time in Paris for big room parties before the big rooms all died in Paris and in, in New York and, and all that. What led you into recovery, essentially? From <laughs> well, that? you know, I'd been doing, you know, I had my own clubs like Love Machine, uh, which, uh, and, and then started playing at the Roxy, which was a big you know, gay night that kind of was the thing that kind of got people going to Sound Factory, which was a legendary house music place, uh, because everybody started doing ecstasy at Roxy, and then suddenly they were gurning their heads off. And, uh, and you know, I got caught up in the, the ecstasy and the drugs, and then, you know, I started Disco 2000, which is the movie Party Monster, right? That was my club, and I, I was one that named it Disco 2000. And, uh, and at the time, Michael Alec, the club kid killer, wasn't, so he wasn't really a drug addict then, but within the six years, he, you know, he was actually, by the end, he was running both speed addictions and heroin addictions and pill addictions all no. at the same time. I never thought you could, you could uh, run addictions <laughs> to speed and uh, uh, heroin at the same time, but I guess it was possible. And, a thrilling uh, roller coaster, a very annoying person. <laughs> God, talk about maintenance of how to keep that <laughs> high going. Whew, oh man. I mean, expensive what, high. to, to briefly interrupt the first time I ever did cocaine, which became my, my drug of choice. I watched the movie party monster and it was like, the, you know, when they say like an ominous foreboding, which he failed to heed in, in like Bill's story in our, our recovery text. That oh, was man. like, it, you know, it, this is not a good sign. Like this is not a good, this is not a fun tale of like things that end well. <laughs> you know, no. it's like, oh, no, you know, it, it actually started out very Pee Wee's Playhouse and then ended very, uh, you know, American Horror Story, uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, uh, but you know, it, I, you know, I, I spent six years doing, uh, being the MC of the hot body contest and, 
And it was a combination of my addiction to uh, boys and drugs that kept me so vulnerable to just getting stuck for five years of my life in there, you know? Mm. So, and then, you know, it, it just got to a point where I couldn't DJ. And, uh, and to be honest, you know, I found the music to be boring because in New York, they had kind of stopped with tribal house. So if you were going to be a gay DJ, you would have to play tribal house, which I felt was already a little bit long in the tooth, meaning just felt old. And they weren't really picking up on techno influences and, or minimal or anything like that. It was just, it was stuck at, uh, you, uh, it was, you either played, uh, tribal house or so just a combination of everything made me, uh, 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 uh a, a total drug addict. And, and so after I, it, it was so depressing just because not so much that, you know, uh, there weren't some moments, but for the most part, when the drugs stop working, that's like a terrible tragedy, a tragedy because it's like Surely. the one reliable friend in the world. And it doesn't it's work. Such a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. And you realize, Oh, Okay, so what uh, do I have to do now? And, and you know, it was at the time when ketamine stopped being easily available. So people were ODing because they would do heroin just so they could keep getting high. And, and so, you know, a lot of friends I knew would, would die. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was really tragic. And so, and I just found it all so depressing. And, and I also knew that there was something within me that was calling me to do more than just do drugs. And, and granted, it should have started calling a little earlier because I didn't get sober <laughs> until I was 38. And That's uh, a good age. Huh? It's a good age, yeah, 38. Yeah, yeah. And yet you remain a young legend. <laughs> huh? And yet you remain a young legend. Well, you know, the, the great thing about, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure. I, you know, I, I came in through 12-step programs. You know, I did both. Basically, anywhere that I knew my friends that didn't drink or do drugs went, I would go. Right? How is that for tastefully not mentioning any specific AA Beautiful. or NA programs? Right? <laughs> but, but, Beep. <laughs> yes. but, but, you know, I went, we you know, I, I, I liked 12 step programs and I, I learned a lot from them and I found my foundation of uh, friends. And, uh, and then, you know, when I, uh, once I, you know, had about a year and a half sober, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I realized I said, oh, fuck, I really need to like get a life. And I, and I thought, oh, well, who's going to want a 40-year-old washed-up DJ? Uh, uh, and, uh, and I said, so, you know, maybe I'll have to just think a little more practical. So I... Uh, <laughs> so you know, I'll went, invent you know, electroclash. <laughs> Is that how the story went? <laughs> well, For practicality's no, sake. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. But I, but I mean, that's where I thought when I first got sober. I just... But then, you know, I... I took myself on dates. I went to art galleries, rock concerts, went to, I made t-shirts. I thought, well, what can I do? And, uh, and then, you know, uh, finally I knew I needed help. And of course it was somebody in the rooms that said, why don't you go to Landmark? I think you might find a calling there. And Landmark uh, has a reputation for being culty or it's like an edu. It's like one of those motivational courses. Oh, and, uh, this is like a, the landmark seminar or whatever. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I went to the introduction, and out of it, I got my boyfriend because I remember they said, "What would you do? What would you want if you could have anything in the world?" And okay. and I and I my I raised my hand and I said, "I would like a healthy relationship." I had Beautiful. never said that ever in my life. Trust wow. me. And uh, but uh, but at the time, that's where I was at, and. Uh, I, you know, within a month, you know, I, ha- I was, I had a steady relationship. So I took the course because I said something happened there. And my uh, course project was called Electro Clash. That's incredible. I had no idea that the foundation of it was the, the landmark. That's crazy. So for the listeners who might not be aware of the kind of a brief history of Electro Clash, uh, can you tell us? Because that this is maybe my favorite of all genres and also I know. You know, like the foundation aged, of all of everything I do. <laughs> You know, it ages really well, doesn't it? Because it's like incredible. It was so politically ahead of its time. It it, it uh, opened the doors for so many female music makers. It was never since has there been the door been so open to uh, female uh, participation as Electric Clash. I mean, if you think about, you go down the list. There's Peaches, Chicks on Speed, Tracing the Plastics, Ellen Alien, uh, uh, Lady Tron. Kitten, Lady Tron. I mean, it just goes and goes and goes and goes. 
right? And uh, and uh, and it was also it was so politically uh, in tune because it had a a voice in it that they use voices some of it, and then you know, but then there was some vitalics that would rip your skull off too. So it was like it, to me, <laughs> honestly, it was like the most irresistible thing. And you know, at the time I was in. Uh, I was newly sober and I was going to Landmark. I just started doing Landmark. And I remember they said, you need to come. To, uh, one one of my friends from the rooms, of course, it all comes to the rooms. All my <laughs> connections, all my growth, all my breakthroughs. It always comes back to the room. Because so I think that's where God secretly lives. And that the churches, totally. you know, they should just turn them into discos. <laughs> you know, but anyway, I, I went there and my friend said, well, I really want you to see my band. It's called uh, Fisher Spooner. Oh, damn. And I remember thinking, that is the worst name. And I was, <laughs> I was taking myself, I was taking myself on dates because I didn't know what it is that I would want to do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, still, I was still deciding. And, you know, they, they usher me into a, uh, a, a I, I was really not looking forward to it because I thought it was going to be a band or something. And they ushered me into an art gallery with, with these, all around me, there were platforms. And I said, oh, I think I'm going to get sprayed with blood or something, right? <laughs> One of those kind of performances. And uh, and then, you know, Fisher Spooner started and they literally blew me away because it was all the dancers and all the performances. They would get undressed on stage and uh, uh, change into fresh, clean Dior Ohm shirts only to pop blood caplets on them uh, three minutes later, uh, it, it was just such a mind blowing, uh, satisfying experience. And it was, it was kind of like what I'd always dreamed of growing up listening to Sig Sig Sputnik and the Sex Pistols and the, and, you know, th- these groups that were like, uh, you know, that they, they were like, to me, they were just like so exciting. It was part visual. It was part music. It had a, Amazing. it was political. It was like, it, and, and one of the great things I love about Electric Clash, you know, no one was straight in Electric Clash. If they were straight and they had kids, i.e., let's say a Tiga, you know, they would say, <laughs> they would say, I'm bisexual. Which was Tiga's a the gayest cool. straight person any of us has ever met. Oh, he's a doll. Um, but you know, the but literally it's it's just one of those things where, you know, it it mattered in Electric Clash that uh, everybody was included. And that's why no one said they were straight. Because it would have been the most uncool thing to have ever said when Electric Glass took off, which to me is like the beginning of a revolution in a, in a sense. Well, I mean, it sounds also that like, you know, you were taking yourself on dates and you kind of exploded into this space that was, it, it sounds incredibly punk and revolutionary, as you mentioned. And the, the idea... I think so many people are afraid that when they get sober, their lives are going to get really small and that they're not like the, the identity crisis that you talk about will backfire, you know, that like if all of our interests involve drugs and alcohol, then what am I going to be if I clean up my act? And that like you give so much hope with your story of being able to be like, and it was a, a curious exploration, fun revolution, political and awesome music and awesome fashion and awesome sex. Like it sounds like the best time ever, which I think is really important to talk about that this is available to us in recovery. Oh, absolutely. Now, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm so active in recovery is because uh, I, I, you know, I, I, to me, I thought it was a a death sentence or that my Mm. fun was over. And, uh, but then, you know, I, that's, I realized that through recovery, I got a, a chance for a second chance of life, but I got to do it better than the first time. Remember, I remember thinking, oh, I missed it. Frankie Knuckles made $2 million. And then, you know, suddenly I'm, you know, I'm working with uh, Afrojack or Steve Aoki and they're making $30 million. But I remember at the time thinking, I blew it. I, I, I had a chance to become a house music legend. And I blew it. And you know what? If I'd, if I'd, I can only imagine that if I had played the whistle song till my final day, I would have ended it before then anyway. That the freedom of being sober allowed me to experiment musically, which I can't imagine any other, uh, most DJs have not gotten the chance to, uh, to experiment and play different uh, formats in so many different decades as, as I've gotten to. Usually you play one thing and then you die with it or you start out with electro and then you just move to techno 
you know, yeah. which is a, a electro clash cliche, but, and, and, and that's good too, but I rarely do you get to do anything as, as alternative as having a gold record for, for supermodel and gypsy woman in your bedroom, but also getting to launch electro clash too. So not, not that I, I didn't launch electro clash, but I, you know, they did not have an art, uh, somebody that could articulate why it was so relevant at the time. And I, I, I'm a really good articulator. We can tell. <laughs> it's like you came in and put an exclamation point, like at the beginning and the end of that, and then pow. Well, yes. So anyway, I, I loved it. On my 40th birthday, uh, uh, a year and a half after I got off sober, it was Fisher Spooner, Chicks on Speed, Peaches, and Adult singing happy birthday to oh me. God. <laughs> As I lost seventy, I lost seventy five thousand dollars doing it. But, but you know, I think still, from here it's definitely worth it. <laughs> that's what I thought so too. I thought so too because it was there. Where when else could you really have your favorite groups all in one room anyway? And I had all my favorite groups at the time in one room singing me happy birthday. And and I said, wow, recovery really works. Fantastic. A life beyond our wildest dreams. I mean, really, <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. It, and it should be. I mean, we're not here to, uh, uh, you know, we're not here to suffer or, or be bored. Mm. Absolutely. Can I just ask you, when you got sober and you were at Landmark and the words came out of your mouth, I want a healthy relationship, was this something you had always been craving or is this something that sort of showed up as a result of sobriety, would you say? Yeah, I would probably think it probably came out of my uh, uh, my new humility of being sober. And because uh, because it, you know, it, it was but it's also maybe some clarity, too, because I'd always liked being in relationships and I like having a partner. So for me, uh, this was a great chance to finally have a partner. And I, and, and, and that was great. And, but I mean, you know, I remember they made me say, uh, uh, sort of the, I am that I am affirmation. They hit it though, the sneaks inside of a, who I am is the possibility of, and that is who I am. And they made me say I was powerful. And so it's funny it, that really started the whole thing of where, which is now really my book, which is the idea that whatever we say goes and that we're 100% responsible for our lives and we can have pretty much anything we want if we're if we're willing to make the decision to have it and then just go all in. Just like Fuck recovery, yes. I went 100% in and the results were fantastic. If I'd pussyfooted around and done given it about 30%, I probably would have had about a 30% of a career afterwards or a life. That's beautiful. Can you tell us about this book? I'm dying to hear about it. Well, yeah, Louisa, it, how did you sum it up earlier? Uh, yeah, motivational memoir. Yeah, it's a motivational memoir. Absolutely. You know, because because really the the um, I'm going to write that down. Motivational memoir. <laughs> yeah, I um, like the voice that you do when you're either talking about landmark or yeah, remembering well, something. It's this. Yeah. Uh, it's no, this. the because well, I, I noticed that a lot of my favorite books when they're come, helpful books, they should all just like recovery. We I think we all should be in recovery. Everybody on the planet is should be in recovery. Whether I mean, there's different. There's 52 different brands. There's everything from ACA children, people that don't do drugs or alcohol, people that aren't good with other people, people that are debtors and gamblers. Emotions Anonymous, I hear, is something. something like, oh, is that a thing? That? If you're Everyone an Emotions Anonymous member, DM us because <laughs> we're very curious. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I I really think that there should be something for everyone, and um, a, a program for everyone, and uh, so. Uh, I, I, this, to me, this set off, uh, I, I realized even in recovery, I needed more, you know what I mean? I needed, I needed some, uh, some serious support for my issues and, mm. and, and inevitably I get it in, in AA when I, once I, uh, or NA or a 12 step program, whatever it is. I, I recently started going to a, a, a thing called prime time here in Berlin, which oh, is basically, you know, we can, prime time. we can quit drinking but we can't quit the thinking and that becomes oh. the main problem for alcoholics and addicts so but um but i mean all of them have things uh, that i i think part of the reason i wrote this book is because i feel that uh everyone should be in recovery and if you're gonna if you're gonna lure people into the trap you better put some honey on the trap uh to get them into the book 
And and if I wrote a book, what, really, they would really not want it to be a fun, a lively uh, thing with some really juicy stories. Fuck yes. Right? Motivational yes, plus memoir. <laughs> yes. So that's why the memoir part. But it's like just in general, that's how I like getting my uh, – I like a spoonful of sugar with, with all the transformational work and all that. Mm-hmm. If it's done too seriously, it can lose me sometimes, you know. When, when it's if it gets too religiously smelling, or if it's too, you know, the the yoga guru, the the right yoga guru, or the the Shiva Mukti, or the whatever, you know, it's like you know I you know I need to uh, maintain its its uh, uh, its life. So. It's fabulousness. It needs to, and that's why we started this podcast, honestly, Larry, about sober sex because we wanted. And we were witnessing kind of what was born out of the pandemic in this um, women's intimacy meeting that a lot of people get stuck in this area, right? And think that, okay, now I'm sober. It has to look super vanilla. And Louisa and I had both had kind of massive transformations around it not looking vanilla and also just having a lot of fucking fun in recovery. And we were like, shit, we need to talk about this because no one talks about that enough. We talk so much. I think it can get so heavy in the emotional side. And and now I can speak to my parents again or not. Like, fuck that. I want to know that I can still go out, that I can still have a life. That I I remember in early recovery, it was so important to me. And I had this tiny little flat, 15 square meters, and everyone came round from the rooms and I cooked them food. And I was like, we need to go out because I need to know it's possible. Yeah, and everyone absolutely. was like, well, we don't want to. We went out till 6 a.m. I met my husband. The rest is fucking history. But the, the fucking magic of that is that you get to have any goddamn flavor you want here. And that's what's so exciting about your motivational memoir. I'm so well, pumped for it to yeah, come out. But it's also, you know, one of the key things, I, you know, I think the two big issues that come up are, and and things, uh, the problems after we get sober are uh, money, uh, what's uh, sex and romance and finance, really. It's like trying to, you get clarity and then you go, oh, whoa, I think I wanted, I was really looking for, a relationship or connection or, and then, and, uh, and those are the things you just don't talk about in those places I know. is money or sex. Cause it, it really triggers everybody. And sometimes my, uh, I, uh, I trigger people with my endless uh, ambition. Cause you know, I'm 61 years old. I have a reality TV show that's in production. That's a blast, uh, of course. And, uh, and I, you know, I still make music and it's all rotten, just like it always has been. It's always going to, you know what I mean? With my songs like um, Amanda Lepore's My Pussy or, or, uh, or, uh, or Licky, you know, the, the one that a lot of people really like, Licky with Princess Bless Superstar. Princess Superstar. And or the Afrojack mix of Let's Make Nasty, you know. It's, you know, well, that's my, my ideas are still horrible. <laughs> and sexy and stupid and fun, you know what I mean. But um, but weirdly, I actually I, I see the culture more coming my my way with WAP than uh, me going their way because you know that's an old house music sample, an old bitch track sample, you know. And, and bitch tracks has sort of been my uh, people are really starting to utilize those as a resource. Yeah, I know it's crazy all the kind of ghetto take influence and and the fact that like. It feels like culture right now is very hungry for both kind of um, queer empowerment and pride and also feminism because it is like it's a it's an oppressive political moment, you know, even if Trump is out of office. Um, and again, like as kind of a community of expats speaking right now, I think it's it's it can be a horror show <laughs> just to watch the news. So to feel like the arts are still sexy and fun and exciting and powerful and talking about like a wet ass pussy, for instance. <laughs> yes, of it's, course. I mean, it's, it's, it's really important. You know, it, it might seem Absolutely. silly, but it's like, it's actually crucial. I never thought it was silly. You know what I mean? I always got that much more than I got, uh, you know, the, uh, that, that, um, um, that indie rock version of sexy. Mm. Oh, my yeah. sex is on fire. <laughs> that was you know i that was i i I was i was just like that's not sex 
Uh, <laughs> you're like, oh, you're doing that's it embarrassing. <laughs> Someone put a blanket over that because that is embarrassing. He sounds sad. <laughs> Not to shame any fans of Kings of Leon, but I definitely hear you. (laughs) I think it may have been the last rock song that became popular. And, uh, but, but, you know, for, I I do think sex is really important to talk about. And, you know, uh, just like, uh, you know, I use all my tools from my recovery in my sex life. I, if I, if I were to go to a sex party, I would bring my higher power with me because they invented the sex party. Why would I not invite them? If, uh, if, if, if I were to go to a sauna in Brazil, I'm not saying this happened. And I suddenly (laughs) I found myself surrounded by boys and I go, this is weird. Normally the boys aren't so excited to see a 50 something year old man. And somebody says, you know, this is one of, this is a pay sauna. And I said, Oh, I better go. I said, well, how much would it be exactly? <laughs> and they said, well, yeah, you know, 20 years for around the world, babes. And I said, well, to, who am I to look into the face of God who brought me to that moment? <laughs> yes. It's, I mean, but I think that what you, we what, take God everywhere. We do take God everywhere. And I think it's important to kind of like talk about that part because we have, you know, we try and be really um, ob- obviously sex positive and sex work positive. Right. And who's to say that like, um, there's not like a deep and profound connection with a higher power in those instances also that like, that God isn't like a super fun, nasty perv who loves all of it, you know, like who, who made the rules there? Because I think it's so easy to have a, I mean, I know for myself, at least I had a really old idea of kind of Judeo-Christian, like, you know, very pious and puritanical higher power. And that's not it. Like for me, at least that's not it. Like that's not where my heart calls me. That's not where I feel connected to the parts of myself that deserve some light and love, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, you know, the conversation, you know, we, especially being gay, uh, the, 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 the whole God thing was just off the table. For so many decades, just because, you know, it was like, it didn't feel like God was, God was the enemy, but, uh, because all the religious people uh, are claiming, but then, you know, just as my brother-in-law came out gay at 50, that happened all over America after the wreckage of the AIDS crisis, people had to come out to survive. And because of that, those pe- those were our, those were people that they were warriors. They sacrificed for our generation with their lives. And, uh, and so now, I mean, it's a new generation. They, a lot of the kids don't get, they don't have uh, context to why, why I think sex uh, uh, leather, uh, leather products are, are kind of icky. I go, oh, turn off a leather, leather, leather this, leather that. It's like, for me, it's not sexy. Can you but, unpack uh, that for us a little bit, like a little bit more obviously? Well, just because when I grew up, like I said earlier, the sex clubs and fetish was like it just seemed dangerous more than it was a uh, healthy expression of one's sexuality. So for me, I may never think that fetish is going to be hot. Yeah, you're you're imprinted. (laughs) Yeah, I'm imprinted, but I'm super happy that people can find whatever it is. And I think it's our generation that actually gave them that freedom because of what happened during that whole whole period. And uh, and especially people that were out during the whole thing, because I was – really out and really, really out. Uh, they, you know, some people, you can, they don't need to be out. And, and it doesn't matter if some people are out. And, uh, but there really wasn't uh, so much of a, an option for me. It was, I was out. I mean, can you also, like, go back? Well, you said that it, like, it, you struggled with the God concept for several decades within your recovery. Can you t- tell us how you kind of, you know, started to build that relationship in a way that was palatable to you? Well, yeah, you know, actually, I, I didn't really struggle with the God concept just because I remember even high when I'd get royalty checks from supermodels, you better work. Uh, I would look at the, in my drugged haze, I would look at the wild signature on it and I said, I think that spells out God. I think it was <laughs> uh, Gordon Greenspan. I, uh, that, but, uh, but I remember at the time, you know, I always had, I felt like there was some, something that I couldn't explain. And there was a connection to the universe that I, that I, I felt connected on other levels. And, and, and it's, it's like, how could we ignore all the, the, uh, um, the synchronicity that happens in our lives and just explain it as, oh, 
that was just, I guess that was just luck. You know what I mean? And so many things. And so for me, it wasn't a big leap to, to, uh, um, to get the higher power concept. You know, for me, it's like, if you, if you don't plug in your vacuum cleaner, you're just going to stir up a bunch of dust. Or if you don't plug in your phone, you're not going to have service when you need it. <laughs> and for me, meetings and higher power, that's my energy source. And if I don't <clears throat> keep recreating ways to uh, connect to it, then I'll wind up without the energy I need to, to do what I love doing, which, which is, is, uh, yeah, that's, no, it's that's, like practical for me, it's practical spirituality. Well, and also you talk to, you talk about it in terms of like an evolution. If you don't keep coming up with new ways to connect, because I know it can feel like, I know that unless I keep it fresh, then it feels kind of legalistic. Like I'm just like checking something off and then I don't really want to do it because it doesn't feel like it's a vital active connection. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned prime time, but what does like your active connection look like today? Like what are you doing today to keep both within your sobriety and your sex life kind of vital and active and evolving? Well, you know, um, it, it's funny. I, uh, I, you know, I bring my higher power into my sex life. I've been with my boyfriend now for three years and, uh, no matter who you are with for three years, you know, it's, it's not quite the first kiss, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, I wake up, my head hasn't tuned in and, and I think Ugh, the last thing I want to do is make out with my partner. <laughs> right. But I, 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 but I, you know, I, but I also realized, I said, you know what? I have come to learn that having a partner for me is I like having somebody I can relate to and that challenges me and that's on my level more than I want a, uh, just another nameless, faceless person. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I just say, higher power, do your thing. And, uh, and inevitably it's always, it's always pleasant and fun and, and it's a way to reconnect, but I have to use my higher power. If I don't connect to my higher power, then I'm not going to connect to my partner. That's so beautiful. I remember exactly the moment when I started bringing God into the bedroom and I was like, this is fucking weird, like super weird. And, you know, I'd been with my husband for a while. Well, he wasn't my husband, but he was my partner at that point for a while. And I was like, fucking hell, this is boring. And I'm fucking not into it. I could just tell my body wasn't there. And I goddamn prayed and I had and a great it time. Happened. I had a great oh. time. And I felt like such a narc afterwards. I was like, this shit <laughs> works. Like if it can come in the bedroom, fuck yes. I'm super down, you know? Well, I find uh, just that connecting, connecting to the universe, connecting to mother nature, connecting to the light, the source, source energy, inner being, uh, uh, you know, uh, the great spirit, you know, really, if we don't, if we don't touch into things, it's, it's the only source of, of anything. So if we don't uh, uh, utilize it, we're, we're like trying to w work with our hands tied or something. It's just, it's not an effective way. So for me, spirituality came from, I got results. And then, then I said, oh, well, okay, this really works. And I like an effective life. I like results. I like uh, exciting, exciting things. So so for me, you know, it kind of came ass backwards in that, uh, you know, I got results first and then I became more and more connected to higher power and was able to, decided to use it more. And, and my sponsors and people in recovery do the same thing. They lead me to, uh, to new uh, 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 levels of it. And so now I, I have a, a really, I, I think a really good a group. I also have a lot of people that I work with in recovery, and and also every morning, you know, I I get up and because uh, I'm already working on my second book, which is uh which is daily meditations. So every day, I take yes. a concept like Mary Condoing your priorities. You know, yes. saying what you need to keep, what you can gently pass. <laughs> Does not <on>. spark joy. <laughs> yes, you or, or or even tasering negative thoughts. Like, you know, it's like if you run with a negative thought, you're, you're going to get, it's going to be dangerous. You're going to get some bad results. So it's like when that shit comes up, instead of saying, oh, I think I'm going to think about this for a week. I believe this. Right, <laughs> it's like a negative just, TED talk. <laughs> you taser it. You go, and, and, and you imagine yourself tasering the negative thought, which is so ridiculous. Yeah. You know, or not at all. I had this amazing podcast today about, um, when the when the chatter comes up, what you should actually do 
in terms of instead of being like, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening, is to actually have a word with yourself. Talk to yourself in third person and say, you know what? Maybe not out loud because you might seem fucking bonkers, but (laughs) (laughs) depending on where it's happening, have a good bloody word with yourself and say, okay, Rose, you know what? We're not going to run with this today. We're just not running with this. And you develop like that, you develop a rapport. And what was really interesting was hearing about this other side of it, because if we didn't have that chatter, we also wouldn't be so wonderfully creative and productive. So we need both, but we also need to learn to harness it. So it doesn't destroy us and take us the fuck down. Because I know I drank over that voice, like, and I used over that voice and that voice, my solution to that voice was placating it with whatever the fuck you could let me put on my nose, you know? Absolutely. Now, I, I, I have heard that, uh, I read that theory that talking in a third person sends it down to your psych, uh, to your, <laughs> all levels of your system. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay. Thank you, Larry, for telling me that. You're welcome, Larry. (laughs) Give her a job. (laughs) Shit's getting weird in COVID. Okay, on this podcast, we talk about sex magic (laughs) or sexuality as a creative or performative tool. Does this resonate with you? Which I feel like it does because we've been talking (laughs) about it quite a lot. But can you tell us how specifically you might harness your sex magic? how I might harness my sex magic. Well, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's clearly in my art. It's not when you, when you look at my cultural DNA, it's all, you know, uh, ass and pussies. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, so on that level, uh, you know, my, that's, uh, and, and from my feeling that I always, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I caught caught with my name, my nose and my neighbor's butt at five years old. So it's like, it's always just been a really integral part of me. I never really, I didn't take it apart as being something uh, negative or dark or, or so for me, uh, you know, it, it has been work to be sober and I had to work through layers of, of sexual shame and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, damage that happened during the AIDS era and my mm-hmm. being afraid to, uh, to be sexual really. And, uh, and you know what? It, it, I'm, I'm glad it's that it's a long process because my, you know, how I use my sex now. I, you know, I don't. I, you know, I'm 61, so it's not quite the same thing as being 40 and in love. And uh, but it's not a bad place to be. I still enjoy that uh, my uh, sexual energy and and uh, and I, you know, of course, I have to fight the bitches off because I'm so fucking fly you know clearly no i'm kidding kidding. but but in general you know actually for me i'm actually happy that uh i'm not as driven because literally sex meant more than my career or my uh you know and um and it was just it was all consuming it's definitely something that uh i needed to I needed to look at in other ways too, to be able to get a healthy relationship to it. Because once the smoke cleared, I said, Oh, I, I just would rather had a boyfriend. I mean, yeah. how did you, I mean, it sounds like the landmark forum was a helpful space to like have that realization of like, I want a healthy relationship. But you also mentioned that like in Atlanta, your addictions were not only to drugs, but also to boys. So how did you, did you do specific work in that area or was it kind of, as you had a spiritual experience with the 12 steps that that kind of was healing, like it healed itself. Well, well I do think, uh, I mean, uh, inventories, you know, I do inventories with my, my friends around, uh, you know, sex and romance. And, uh, you know, once you do your 50th inventory, it's really clear that, uh, that it's the same thing over and over and over again. And it's, it's no surprise that my, my first, my new boyfriend looks just like my first one, even in drag. His drag personality looks like my first boyfriend's even. And I didn't know him as a drag at the time. He really hadn't done it until, uh, or much until, you know, until we uh, got together. And, uh, and, you know, now my, my old uh, drag queen uh, boyfriend, uh, uh, who, uh, uh, that also uh, helped with, I uh, uh, get uh, a popular, a reality TV star, a sober or off a of pot when they needed to get sober. Uh, uh, now my, my friend is running a, 
a, a magazine that's aimed at the recovery the uh, recovery community. In he's one of the editors of of a magazine called The Grapevine. Oh, we love The Grapevine! <laughs> and he, he, I'm eating his he, magazine. <laughs> he's responsible for having got through the gay book and the atheist book. And uh, he's in charge of basically the uh, – so drag queens are in charge, okay? Yes. Putting it out there. Yes, not only do you have to deal with finding the uh, – figuring out who's the, the star on this season of Drag Race, but you have to know that they are also running your uh, – without it, you may not get your English literature or certain 12-step pro, uh, programs. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. I'm so happy to know this. <laughs> so weird. God so, is everywhere. I know that, that was gossipy without being gossipy, only because you guys know my story. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's wonderful. It was, I mean, it good. positive and gossip. So <laughs> positive gossip, for sure, for sure. Um, so do you have any words of wisdom for people coming up in music, fashion, nightlife who might be sober curious? Oh, yeah. Well, I am I am the gateway drug. I am the uh, uh, recovery unicorn, as they call me so here. We've heard. Yes. And uh, times. you were actually mentioned in a previous podcast. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. how we were like, I, we need to speak to this guy. So many of them, because I've been so out and proud. You know, a lot of people, I still get, sometimes somebody will uh, throw me some uh, shame for, for being so out and uh, saying, hey, if you have a problem, and, you know, I print my gratitude lists, which, of course, are ridiculous, from my food favorites to my uh, porny uh, Netflix things or, or, or artists that I like. And, uh, and uh, but I always mention recovery and, you know, and, but, you know, I think it's good to be, uh, uh, you, everybody has to have their own way. There's no one way to do anything. And for me, uh, uh, being out is also a, a great tool because people, if they know I don't drink or do drugs, then they don't bother me at nightclubs to do drugs. They don't, they just know ahead of time that that's already down there. And I'm good friends with everybody in the industry. I know everybody at every club. I run every club. I've run clubs, uh, pretty much clubs in so many different cities that, that it's sober. You know, I, I don't even have a reference to Berlin when I was drinking or doing drugs. I, I've never been here before. Recovery allowed me to come to Berlin. And, uh, so, uh, you know, for yeah, for people that are new in recovery that, uh, you know, I thought, oh, well, like it's part of the creative process, like to get really high. And and, and it really wasn't. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, I did have, I had some luck before I got sober, but you know what, the, the uh, I was able to really do so much more of the things I love doing. And, and, uh, and sober sex is one of the things I love, I, I, I enjoyed too. I, I wasn't one of those you have to clear all the sex out of your life when you get sober. I would have never gotten uh, sober no, or clean no if they'd have said, uh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take your first year. You're going to have to be, you know, I did it my way. I used what I needed at the time. And I, I realized that's not going to work for me. Oh uh, being a, uh, I'll deal with my other addictions at another time. And the only non-negotiable is you can't drink or do drugs. And, and there's so many, that leaves so much fun, naughty trouble to get into that, that it's, it's, it's almost like it's a lack of imagination to think anything other than that, because uh, it's, it's a banquet of, Beautiful. of options uh, of sex and music and romance and love and uh, great new projects to be done. My fashionment, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's like it, it keeps coming. It keeps unfolding for me, even at 61, it keeps uh, unfolding. And, and, you know, they, you know, people think sometimes they get triggered. They say, ah, well, you shouldn't really be trying to do that at your age. You know, they, uh, or, <laughs> what do they think? Do they know me? And, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and also one thing I, for new people that might be older when they get sober, you know, what? I had my first na- a gold record under my own name with Licky, featuring Princess Superstar and Santa Gold and, and eventually a Chantel, the Rihanna B that, uh, uh, that, you know, her, that the t-shirt, that sexy little t-shirt song. And, uh, but it came when I was 50 years old, literally. Uh, uh, and I didn't start a clothing company until I was 55. And I now dress Missy Elliott, the B-52s, Sean Kingsman, been on the Night Show, X Factor, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race this season, every episode. And so it's like the, the, 
you know, it's <clears throat> for people that are older that are coming in, because uh, uh, a lot, a lot of time, that's when we run out of steam and the drugs stop working. And, uh, you know, that, that we have a second chance to really do anything we want to, if we, if we just go into our, our recovery and, uh, uh, the same way we went into our using and our partying mm. and, uh, we just go all into our, our, that and our thing. It's like anything is really possible. I've, I've yes. seen it. I've experienced it. Hallelujah. We talk uh, in inventory often about a sex idea, like who we want to be as romantic or sexual partners. And so what might your sex ideal be today? My sex ideal? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, I have sex heroes. But I, you know, I never, it wasn't really focused so much on what they were doing with their penises. Uh, I mean, certainly my early years were like the, the couple in the B-52s uh, 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 and or, uh, I don't know, I mean. Not necessarily about intercourse, but like, who do you want to show up as, as a partner today? Oh, in George intimacy. Of course. I mean, look at me. What? George <laughs> really when it comes right down to it now you know i just as a sex partner i just want to show up as uh you know uh, uh i just want to be there i don't want to be high i don't want to be on chem sex i don't want to imagine something that's not happening you know i just want to be there and that's exciting enough that's a very personal that kind of sex wouldn't you say so That's very beautiful. Like Present. 100% I think there. it's beautiful. Fuck. That's the new revolution. Presence. Okay, let's zip the fuck into a lightning round. Lightning so, round, you guys. Larry. Yeah. Can't think about this. Just like spontaneous, bring your most creative self to this part. Who is your ultimate sex symbol? My ultimate sex symbol. Oh, God. Uh, that that uh, sexy boy in Blue Lagoon. With uh, that was sexy opposite, boy blue uh, lagoon. Yes, I can't remember his name. Google it. Amazing. What is your favorite breakfast? Oh my god, um, avocado shake with banana and ice. You're feeling dull and uninspired. What is your number one creative pick me up? Oh, uh, it's, it's, uh, motivational speakers on YouTube. Oh, yeah, if you need girls, right. I actually, I you know, I have so many, but you know, down the list, it's like everybody from. Uh, Abraham Hicks to Jen Sincero to just whoever uh, uh, has a new way of of uh, telling me how to tap into the power. Yes, yes, tap in, tap in. What turns you on? What turns me on? Oh God, um, mm, mm, turns me on. A uh, 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 Bali, uh, being in a uh, uh, and and naked swimming. Beautiful, love it. What do you love? What do I love? Mm-hmm. Oh, the creative process. Yes, I love. I'm with you. Like my my, you know, I, I I'm enjoying doing fashion because it it, it creates. It's I make the music for the show. I I make the clothes for my brand. I help other. Uh, most of the people are in recovery that are on my show, and I mean, could you imagine working with people that aren't? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I mean, people are getting more used to that idea. But yes, that's what I love. I love uh, the creative process. And finally, how can this bitch have so much fun? Oh God! Well, you know what? Uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be fun shamed and uh, success shamed, or never um, ever. I don't want people to hate on me just because I'm so amazing. But but you know what? <laughs> I know where it all came from. It, it was tapping into the twelve steps and getting sober and being willing to to uh, t- uh, to plug in. And use that power. That is absolutely beautiful. Larry T, what a delight. So thrilled to have you here today. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, Instagram, there's Larry T or Zhezhi. Or, uh, or <laughs> and then T-Z-U-J-I is Zhezhi. That's Zhezhi. And then my, my latest project where I have a lot of interviews and a lot of people, uh, fashion people from all over, fashion music culture people from all over the world. It's called fashertainment.com. And it's a reality TV show that's in production. And by hopefully by next year, it'll be on 
Netflix and and uh, Fuck yes. or uh, it has a sales platform built right into it, so it could actually be on. It, it's it's actually a pretty fresh concept, but it's all new stuff. It's no ball gowns, it's no couture. That's done. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye, Felicia. Goodbye, Karen. <laughs> no, I mean meaning. <laughs> it's a, that's over. So, but yes, this TV show is definitely not sleep. over. Cute. I'm so stoked to check that out. Thank you for being such a delight. We've had so much fun speaking to you today. I hope you will come back oh, and we can time. check in with you later in the season. Anytime I'd love to hear more about here. Yes. Well, have a You're the best. glorious dinner with your, your new house guest. <laughs> and uh, we'll hopefully speak to you soon. Bon appetit. Oh.